Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. With each message and series from Pastors Tim and Nathan, we hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Does your world feel like it's upside down? What would it take to make you truly happy? Is it simply about having a good job, a big house, losing 10 pounds, or being in a fulfilling relationship? Did you know that God wants you to be happy? Not the world's version of happiness. What if it's not about the contents of your bank account, but the contents of your heart? What if it's not about what you can do, but what God can do through you? God wants you to have a blessed life. God wants you to be crazy happy. All right, well, happy spring, everybody. Hey, let's give a big old welcome to Church Online, everybody at our live locations. Good to see you guys. Welcome to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim. Um, I am thrilled that you're here for week two of our spring series, Crazy Happy. This is a series on the Beatitudes or the blessed attitudes that Jesus Christ taught in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, uh, somebody came up to me after the service last week and said, hey, Pastor Tim, I got a question. Why do they call it the Sermon on the Mount? You ever wonder that? It's a great question. Does anybody know the answer? Want to answer? If you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, let me read you what it says in verse 1. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a, what's it say, church? Mountainside and sat down. So Jesus found a mountainside to teach his disciples what it meant to be blessed or crazy happy in the kingdom of God. Now, next spring, here's something cool. When we fly to Israel to tour the Holy Land, you're going to have a chance to visit the actual mountain, the Mount of Beatitudes. Check it out. I'll give you a little bit of footage of this. This is the traditional spot where Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount. This is about half an hour from Capernaum, which is Jesus' adopted hometown. It's beautiful. Um, It's surrounded by lush gardens. It overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And on this mountainside, you'll find the Church of the Beatitudes. Now, when Colleen and I visited, we noticed something cool. Do you notice this? The church has eight sides. It's shaped like an octagon. Why? Because Jesus taught eight Beatitudes. And every side of the, the sanctuary represents a different one. I want to take you quickly inside, give you a little feel. Check this out. Hey guys, I'm here in Tiberias on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus did most of his teaching. Right now, we are the place where he gave his famous Sermon on the Mount. So we're standing on a mountain right now, and you can see this is where he would have the crowds and be pressing in to listen to him. And understand that Jesus was a rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher, but he was a radical rabbi. And here at the Sermon on the Mount, he gave eight Beatitudes or beautiful attitudes that we're to have as followers of Christ. Uh, One of them is, blessed are the meek for they'll inherit the earth. He had some radical teaching nobody had ever heard before, such as loving your enemy, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile. It's where we get all of those beautiful attitudes. That's why he said, blessed are those, Baruch, blessed are those who have the attitude of God for they will see God. It's an amazing place. I'm excited for somebody to see it, whoever's going to Israel next spring. 
But the hill there just kind of slopes down to the water. And so this mountainside that Jesus picked to preach, it was like a, a natural amphitheater. So I want you to imagine the scene. Crowds are pressing in to hear him. Word is spreading about this, this radical rabbi from Nazareth. And Matthew writes this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. And what did he do, church? He what? He sat down. Now, this is interesting. But in Bible times, the teacher always sat while the people always stood. And I like that. I want to be more like Jesus. So I'm going to preach sitting down today. And how about you guys just stand up for 30 minutes? How would you like that? Wouldn't that be awesome? Here's what it says. It says his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And I'm going to put the verses up for you here. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is fascinating because the crowd on the mountainside would have said, I'm sorry, what? Blessed are the, 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 the poor? Blessed are the... Remember, the Greek word for blessed is makarios, and it means extreme happiness, blessing, inner bliss. So Jesus starts his sermon with a blessing, which Jewish people weren't used to. Did you know this? If you flip all the way back to the Old Testament, the last verse, Malachi chapter 4, the Old Testament ends with this verse. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Watch this. So that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. In other words, the Old Testament ends with a curse, but the New Testament begins with a blessing. So this sounded strange to Jesus' audience. They're like, a preacher who isn't beating us up or condemning us? God wants us to be makarios, blessed, crazy, happy. Now that's my kind of preacher. And guys, that's why Jesus came. He came to bless you, to love on you. On the cross, Jesus actually canceled the curse of sin. He forgave our failures. He gave us new life, life by the Holy Spirit. So this is good news. This is the gospel. Jesus is like, hey, there is a new way of living possible, and it's called the kingdom of God. The reason we call it the kingdom is because God is the king. He has full rule and reign over your heart, regardless of your circumstances. But here's the thing. The values of this kingdom are upside down. Blessed are the poor in what? Spirit. We looked at this last week and we're like, wait a minute. We're modern Americans, man. Blessed are the rich, for they shall fly first class. <laughs> Blessed are, are those who look good in Lululemon leggings, right? Come on. Blessed, man. Blessed are those who invested in Amazon. I'll tell you what. Blessed are the rich and privileged. And just like, no, 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 no. In the kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit. The spiritual beggars, remember that? Disciples who declare their dependency on God. That's where blessing begins with this posture of humility that says, you know what? I am a beggar. I depend totally on God's wisdom, totally on his strength, not my own. That's the kind of man and woman that God blesses. Amen? Someone sent me a funny uh, present last week. Remember I taught you about eagle strength, right? Isaiah said, hey, those who hope in the Lord will soar on wings like eagles. It's, it's kind of this picture of the Holy Spirit, right? Giving you supernatural strength on your wings when you're weak. So on Monday morning, I get this package from Amazon and I tear it open and take a look, pull out this eagle. Can you see this thing? Take a look at this. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's this little eagle. I'm going to put it out here so you can see it. That balances, it's kind of weird, on the tip of your finger. And I'm like walking around the office with this thing and everyone's like, ooh, ah. And uh, the, the note said, hey, Pastor Tim, here's a fun reminder of eagle strength. Ka! Isn't that kind of fun? 
Now, I just want to acknowledge, I'm going to put this little eagle here. Please don't send me gifts, okay? Just, if you just bring your Bible to church, that's enough of a gift for me. That would be awesome, all right? Crazy happy are the poor in spirit. That was the first beatitude or Jesus' first blessing. Now, today, we're going to study the second beatitude found in Matthew 5, verse 4. Let's read this together, church, all their campuses. Those in the chat, big, loud voice. You ready? Here we go. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And again, people sitting on that mountainside would have been like, wait, Jesus, this doesn't make sense, man. Blessed are those who, who mourn, like crazy happy are the, the sad people. Like, what? It sounds ludicrous, right? Like, how can you be blessed when your heart is breaking? Well, the truth is God specializes in blessing broken hearts. Did you know that? And that's encouraging, I'll tell you, because the last 12 months has been a season of heartbreak and loss for so many people here, hasn't it? But think of what people lost over the last year, right? You probably know people who lost their health. Maybe you lost your job. Some of you lost a family member or a loved one. I think of our students who lost graduations and proms. You know, during the pandemic, everybody experienced some sort of loss, and, and maybe it hurts your heart to think about the losses in your life. I, I don't know what you're going through right now, um, I talked with a friend this week. She's actually a cancer survivor. That was a, a journey that was behind her. And she just found out that now she's been diagnosed with breast cancer. And she's like, Tim, not the news I wanted to hear, you know, in the spring. It's a loss. Maybe you got a bad health report or you, or you got laid off. And, and I know some of you came to church or you're on the chat. And you're churning inside, right? You had a fight maybe with your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife. Or there's a legal issue with your ex or, or the money isn't there and your kids are, or kids are in trouble. A lot of people watch online right now. You've had a loss in your life, a pain, something that has caused you grief. So last Sunday after service, Colleen and I hopped in our car and we drove two hours down the shore to the funeral of a friend. Um, her mom was actually diagnosed with brain cancer last fall, just devastating diagnosis. And she went through six months of surgeries and treatment. And on Easter Sunday morning, she died. She passed into the presence of Jesus. The age of 70, but you know 70 is young. 70 is new 60. And so we went to the viewing just to mourn, you know, with our friends and the grandchildren who lost their grandma. And there's no words, right? You, you, you show up and you give the gift of your presence. And her husband was there, and I, I said, John, I'm so sorry. And I, I gave him a big hug. We had masks on, the whole thing. But he was just heartbroken. He said, Tim, we were married 50 years. We started dating at age 15. He said, I... I'm happy for her. She's at home with Jesus and whole and healed. But he said, I'm just heartbroken. And literally tears as he blinked, just poured out of his eyes and splashed on his suit collar. You know, that family was heartbroken. Like six months from diagnosis to death. The truth is life is full of losses. Into that reality, Jesus has the gall to say, blessed, crazy happy, are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Well, today I want to share a message I'm calling Good Grief <laughs> about how God can bless a broken heart, how God can help you handle losses in your life. And today it's appropriate that I'm sitting because I, I kind of want to talk to you like a counselor. Think of me just as a, a friend who cares because there's probably two kinds of people listening right now. Um, you may be in the position where you need comfort today or you may be somebody who needs to comfort somebody else in your life because someone in your world is hurting. And God actually wants to help them through you this week. A couple years ago, I was out in California um, at Saddleback Church. 
And the pastor there, Rick Warren, he said, hey, Tim, I want you to preach for me this weekend. And some of you know, Pastor Rick and his wife, Kay, they lost their precious son, Matthew, to suicide at the age of 27. And it, and it, was, it was devastating. I mean, he struggled with mental illness his whole life and actually lost it in this very dark moment of despair. And, and Pastor Rick, he's a giant of the faith in, in our generation. And he, and he said, no words could express the anguished grief that we felt. He says, you know, when something that serious happens, you never get over the grief. You only get through the grief with God's help. And he's been very public sharing how God has helped him and Kay get through their family's grief. But when he speaks about this topic, let me tell you something. I like, I like listen, I take notes because it's like a master class on grieving well, something we don't really talk about in the church very much. And so some of the things I'm going to teach you today, Rick taught me, and I'm calling this message good grief because grief can be good. Jesus says God blesses those who are willing to mourn. And the truth is a lot of Christians don't like to grieve, right? When something bad happens, a lot of people are just like, I just want to move on. They think I'm, I'm just going to get over the grief. No, no, you don't get over it. You only get through it with God's comfort. But look at this promise. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be what? comforted. So how does God comfort you? If you're taking notes, and I do suggest you do today, there are six ways that God blesses broken hearts. This is how God comforts us in our grief. If your heart is broken, the first way is that God draws me close to himself. Can we say that together? God draws me close to himself. Look at the promise of Psalm 34. It says this, the Lord is close to who? The brokenhearted. And he saves those whose spirits have been crushed. You ever notice when you go through a hard time or a loss, it feels like God's a million miles away. Well, the Bible says he's not a million miles away. The Bible says he is close, near to the brokenhearted. He's actually never been closer than at that moment. Our God is paying attention. He's not aloof. He's not distant. And again, I talk to a lot of brokenhearted people as a pastor. I talk to young mothers who've had a miscarriage. I talked to couples going through divorce. This week I was processing with a black friend about the George Floyd trial, you know, and the death of Dante Wright. And he, and he said, Tim, can I be honest? He said, I'm just tired of my heart hurting. He said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I had an Asian friend confess something similar to me as well. So now, right now, so many people of color just feel like their spirit's being crushed. Well, first off, I want you to know that my heart hurts with you. And we stand with you as a church. When, when you hurt, we all hurt. And God hurts. God draws close. It says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those whose spirits have been crushed. Now, this is important to say, but God doesn't expect you to be a shiny, happy Christian. You remember the R.E.M. song? Shiny, happy people in the church. <laughs> If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably met one, right? Well-dressed people who kind of wear these, these like, woo, plastic smiles. And you're like, hey, how you doing, man? And they're like, blessed and highly favored, my brother. And you're like, what the? <laughs> but beneath that plastic smile, their hearts are hurting. They're troubled about maybe a fractured family or a struggling child. Maybe they have financial pressure, health problems. And on the outside, you'd never know. But on the inside, they're falling apart. Can I just tell you, that's not real Christianity. When you become a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean you become a shiny, happy person who never grieves. In fact, look at this. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time to what? A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to 
mourn and a time to dance. Now there's, there's weddings and there's funerals. The Bible says that there's crying and mourning. And you know what? Sometimes weeping is the most appropriate response to life's losses. Because the fact is, this world is filled with a lot of sadness. Amen? I mean, all you got to do is read the paper. You read about little girls getting kidnapped or trafficked. There's murder. There's hate crimes. There's a lot of pain on this planet. And sometimes the only appropriate godly response is grief. God doesn't expect you to grin and bear it. He doesn't want you to stuff your emotions and smile in the middle of all the losses in your life. No, Jesus said you're going to be blessed if you mourn, when you grieve your losses. Now, I want to clarify this because a lot of people, when you talk about grief, they think about funerals, right? Like, well, you lose a loved one, that's when you grieve. But the fact is there's a thousand losses in, in life, right? You can lose your health. You can lose your job. You can lose a friendship, and there's grief. You can lose a dream. Maybe your business or restaurant closed during COVID, and like, you're starting from scratch. That's a loss. You don't even have to be old, even high schoolers and college kids. One student said to me, Pastor Tim, because of COVID, I lost my senior year. I, lo I, I lost seeing my friends. I lost my sports season. I lost my graduation. Those are legitimate losses. And God says the only appropriate response to the losses of life, listen to me, it's not to fake it, but to face it. God doesn't want you to go around grinning, but to actually grieve. There's time to laugh and dance, time to weep and mourn. The Bible says you're to mourn your losses, by the way, which means two things. It means you're mourning the bad things that happened to you, but you know what the Bible says? You're also supposed to mourn your disappointments, the good things that didn't happen to you. You didn't get that promotion. You didn't, that marriage, that, marriage, that engagement didn't go through. Did you hear that? Good things that didn't happen to you. That's also a reason to grieve. In the middle of that grief, God makes this promise. He says this, I will never leave you, and I will never abandon you. And that means even in your worst pain, even in your most embarrassing disgrace, your most like epic failure, God says, I'll never leave. I'm not going to walk away. God says, you'll never be, I'll leave you alone to handle the pain by yourself. So the first way that God blesses the brokenhearted, the Bible says, is he draws us close to his heart. Now here's the second blessing. When you grieve, understand as a Christian, God grieves with you. Can you say this with me? God grieves with me. The reason you have the ability to grieve is that you're actually made in God's image. You guys know this. Maybe you don't know this. Animals don't grieve. <laughs> Insects don't grieve. When you're outside and there's like mosquito and you're like, thwack, you kill a mosquito. The others aren't like, oh no, poor Larry. <laughs> you know? Of all created life, only human beings grieve. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. The only reason you have any emotion at all is because, listen to this, the Christian God is an emotional God. By the way, those of you who are like, well, aren't all religions the same? No. This sets Christianity far apart from all other world religions. For instance, Buddhists believe suffering is a part of life. So if a person experiences pain calmly without getting emotional, you actually gain a greater sense of being. Buddha's like, don't get too emotional. But the Christian God of the Bible is emotional. He's moved. He's sympathetic when his children suffer. The Bible says when God sees inhumanity on earth, you know what he does? He weeps. When he sees our sin, he weeps. When God sees wars destroying people, when he sees our planet being destroyed, God weeps. He grieves. And we're made in God's image, and he weeps with you. In other words, God is a suffering God. He's a sympathetic God. He's not distant. He's not stoic. And when you suffer, his children, God suffers with you. Let me show you a prophecy here. This is from Isaiah 53. It's describing Jesus. It says this. 
Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with what? Deepest grief. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that what? Weighed him down. So when you come to Jesus with your pain, it's not like Jesus goes, oh, wow, wow, that's really difficult. Sorry, bro, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, like when your heart is breaking, it's not like Jesus is going, um, you go over that again. I don't really understand what you've gone through. You know what? We're in church. Just put a happy face on, please, and buck up. You're in my house. No! Jesus is a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. So when you weep, Jesus weeps with you. Let me give you an example from the Bible. When um, a friend of Jesus named Lazarus died, you know what the Bible says? It says, when Jesus saw Lazarus' sister sobbing and saw all those with her were crying also, his heart was touched. And he was what? Deeply moved. Then Jesus started crying. Why? See how much he what? See this word. Loved Lazarus, they said. Circle that word loved. See, good grief is evidence of great love. The more you love, the more you're going to grieve your losses. If you're apathetic, eh, if you're cold, you're cynical, nothing touches me, it means you have no love in your life. You don't care what happens to somebody else, right? It doesn't bother you. You don't grieve about the pain of your next door neighbor. If you don't love them, you're like, I don't really care. But the more you love, the more you're willing to lean in and grieve. You know the shortest verse in the Bible? You guys know? Every, when I was a little kid, I was like, I got a verse. John eleven thirty five. Two words. Jesus wept. That's your memory verse this week. I gave you one last week. This is even shorter. Let's say it together. Here we go. Jesus wept. You just memorized the verse. Look at you. What's the point? In Jesus, we have a suffering God. You have a God who sympathizes, who understands, who stands with you in your grief. The Bible says Jesus wept. That means he cried. He was publicly open about his grief. And can I just say to the men here, we're not really good at grief, are we, guys? <laughs> like, come on. Guys don't like negative feelings. It's not, like, it's not like a very macho kind of thing. Guys don't like bad things, and we don't, we're not really that comfortable with sadness. In fact, maybe you were taught growing up, real men don't, everyone, cry. Parents, can I counsel you right now? Stop teaching your kids to stuff their emotions. It's one of the first things parents instinctually say when kids are, stop, stop your crying. No, no, don't cry. Don't, 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 don't cry. Really? Like, is that what you want? You want to teach your kids to just stuff their emotions deep down and don't feel it. Listen, Jesus was the strongest man who ever lived, and he cried openly over his friend. So weeping is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Only weak men are afraid of their emotions. They're afraid of tears. Why? It freaks them out. It scares them. See, when you're actually a strong, confident man, you're not afraid of emotion. You're not afraid to express it. So don't be embarrassed. You never be embarrassed, listen to me, to cry like Jesus. In fact, the Bible says Jesus was sent to comfort you. Listen to Isaiah 61. Jesus quoted this verse as his life mission. He says this. He has sent me to what? Comfort all who mourn. To give to those who mourn in Zion joy and what? Gladness instead of grief, and a song of praise instead of sorrow. See, grief is a painful emotion, but here's the thing. It's a healthy emotion. It's also a helpful emotion. Think of it this way. Grief is like the tool that God gives you to get through the transitions in your life. That's the third blessing. 
Grief, as God designed it, it's vital to your health. It is vital to you emotionally, to your spiritual health, your physical health, your mental health. If you're like, nah, man, I'm just going to go through life without grieving, that'd be like a mother who says, you know what, I want to have a baby without going through the pain of labor. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. There's really two unhealthy reactions to losses in life. The one is to repress them. The other is to suppress them. You know the difference between repression and suppression? Repression is when you kind of unconsciously block a painful thought out of my mind. But suppression is when I know it and I'm just going to stuff it down. I don't want to think about that. I'm going to block it out. But both deny reality. When you go through a tough time, when your heart is hurting, God doesn't want you to suppress it or repress it. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to express it to friends and confess it to God. Because when you do that, God says, now I can put you on the road to healing. Grief really is God's gift to help us process our pain. In fact, let, let me encourage you to write this down. Again, so many of these things like a master class. Think of it this way. If I don't let it out, I'll act it out. If I don't let out my grief in healthy ways, I'm going to act it out in unhealthy ways. Listen, I, I know some of you have had a hard life. So, so, some of you were hurt many years ago. Maybe, maybe your parents divorced when you were young. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were hurt by something someone said about you, and it just wounded you very, very deeply. But as a child, you didn't know how to, what good grief was. You, didn't know, you're, you were taught grief is no good. So you pushed it down, and you stuffed it. You've never grieved that loss in life. Well, listen to me. You need to go back and grieve it. You know why? Because if you don't grieve the losses of life, you get stuck, frozen in time at that stage emotionally. Let me say that again. This is so important for you to learn as an emotionally healthy Christian. When you don't grieve, when you don't feel your pain, you push it down, it's like your growth, frozen. You get stuck emotionally at that stage. And watch this. You spend the rest of your life reacting to something that happened a long time ago. And what's worse is you're taking it out now on people around you, and that's not fair. It's unhealthy to stuff it. That's why God gives us the gift of grief. Good grief is godly grief. If you don't talk it out, you're going to take it out sometimes on your own body or on other people. You're going to act out in unhealthy ways. Because when you swallow negative emotions, do you know this? Your, you know your body gets sick? There's a physiological response. Look what David said in Psalm 32. This is so interesting. He said this, When I kept things to myself, I felt what? Weak, deep inside me. I moaned all day long. Circle that word moaned. Everybody give a good moan. Oh, <laughs> It's not a good moan. When you go through a loss in life, you lose a friend, a job, a romantic partner. You lose your business. Listen, you can either moan or you can mourn. Moaning is negative. Mourning is positive. Moaning is having a pity party. Mourning is calling out to God in your grief and in your pain. David says, I was silent. I held my peace to no avail. My distress only grew worse. See, if you're too busy to grieve the losses in your life, or maybe you're like Clint Eastwood, you're like, I'm the strong, silent type man, just kind of grin and bear it, push through. If you don't stop to mourn a loved one's death, you stay silent. You know, David says, here's what's happened. Your distress only grows worse. What's the point? Grief is a gift. Grief is good. God wants to bless you. It's vital to your health. Grief is healthy and it's helpful. Blessed, Jesus said, are those who mourn. 
for they'll be comforted. So if you don't grieve the losses of life, understand, you'll get stuck at that stage, and that's why you're here. Because God gives you a church family for support. Blessing number four, if you're taking notes. When you grieve, God draws close to you, and guess what? So do the rest of your siblings. So does his family. Have you guys ever heard this saying? I remember this is like kind of like an old school, like farmer's almanac. When you share a joy, it's doubled. But when you share a sorrow, it's cut in half. In other words, when something bad happens to you and you say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to tell anybody about this. I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep this a secret. I'm kind of a private person. I'm going I'm to keep it to myself. Guess what? You broke one of the principles of God's word. God designed you and he said you're meant to grieve in community. Not to carry that burden alone. Healing actually comes in groups. Healing comes when we grieve together as a church family. Let me share three verses from Romans chapter 12 with you. It says this about the church. In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. So we all look different, different colored skin, different education, different backgrounds. But in Christ, we form one body. That's the family of God. We're the body of Christ. And the Bible says each member, watch this, we belong to each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know what? I care about you. Just say it. Just say, I care about you. Even if you don't care, just pretend. I care about you. <laughs> You're not supposed to be an anonymous spectator. We're supposed to care for each other like brothers and sisters. So when you have a win, I celebrate with you. I share your joy. But when you have a loss, I grieve with you. I share your pain. When there was an outburst of Asian-American violence a few, a few weeks ago, the first thing I did, I hopped on my text because I got six people in my life who I know that profoundly affected. I said, I, I hurt with you today. It's a command, guys. Mourn with those who mourn. So gut check. Here's my question. Who are you doing that for? Like who in your world knows that you would show up in their crisis? You have that kind of commitment? Let me tell you, if you don't, that's why you've got to get in a small group at Liquid. That's where family life happens. If you're new to our church, there is no reason at all for you to go through the pain on your own. You know, Colleen and I, we've been in many small groups over there. We were part of the same small group once for, I think it's almost five, six, maybe, might have been seven years. In those years, let me tell you what we went through. We had couples go through job losses, marriage troubles, kids go off the rails, major illnesses. And I praise God for those other couples because sometimes... The support we gave, sometimes we didn't give advice. Sometimes it's just the ministry of presence. Showing up for other people and letting them know you care. You're there for them. That's why you're here. That's why God puts you in a church family for support. We want to rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Jesus said, blessed. You'll, you'll be crazy happy are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. Now I know what some of you are saying. Well, well Tim, how do you do I'm not good at that. You're a pastor. You comfort people. How do you give comfort to someone who's raw and hurting? Like right now, you need to know this. Let me tell you, you need to know this because right now, you're either going through pain yourself and you need comfort, or maybe you're in a very smooth sailing season of life. Everything's like going hunky-dory. You know what? You need to comfort somebody else. You either need comfort or you need to give comfort to someone in your life. I want you to think about who that might be. Do you know who it is? Because if you care, you'll be aware. There are people in pain right now sitting in your row at our live locations in that chat room online, and you don't even know what their pain is. If you care, you'll be aware. So let me give you two ways to comfort people when they go through loss. Loss of a loved one, loss of a baby, 
What's their health? Write this down. Never minimize another's pain. One of the words you can delete from your vocabulary when you're talking to somebody who's grieving is the words, at least. You know what I'm talking about? I heard about a, a mother who lost a child um, through drowning. Like just unspeakable tragedy. And a neighbor came over and like, you know, in this awkward attempt to comfort them said, well, at least you're young enough to have another child. Are you kidding me? That mother doesn't want another child. She wants her baby back. You never say at least. At least you've got three other kids. Are you kidding me? Eliminate the phrase at least from your vocabulary when talking to anybody in pain. It doesn't help anybody. The typical reaction when someone's in pain is we want to fix it immediately. I'm I'm preaching to myself. Don't be in a hurry to fix anybody. You don't need to fix it. God will fix it in his time. What you need to do is just be there and be aware and care. Sit down with them as they talk. You don't have to say anything as they weep. Just give them the gift of your presence. Don't rush people. Good grief takes time. And nobody can tell you what's the right length of time, by the way, for you to grieve. The losses in your life. You know, I lost my dad almost eight years ago now. And, um, and I was with my mom the other day. And her chin started quivering. And she actually, I saw her ears welling, her eyes welling up. And she started crying. And I said, why are you so sad, mom? She said, I just, sometimes I just miss your father. And then she said this. She goes, I know it's, I shouldn't. She said, it's, it's, it's been eight years. I just thought I'd be over it by now. Listen to me. No, no, no. You don't get over grief. You go through grief. And it takes time. Sometimes years, sometimes decades to cycle through. So never try to talk somebody out of their feelings. A feeling is neutral. It's neither right nor wrong. It's just a feeling. So men and women, stop trying to talk your your partner out of feelings. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just sit with them in their pain and show grace to each other. Don't minimize. Don't rush the process. Because if they're a believer, listen to me, they're not grieving with no hope. The fifth way God blesses a broken heart is, listen to this, God gives us the hope of heaven. Amen? The the hope that this life is not all there is. Guys, this life is very short. Amen? It is the warm-up act for eternity. I want you to think about this. The amount of time you're going to spend on this earth, it's actually relatively small, right? You're going to get like maybe 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years. It's nothing compared to the millions, the billions of years in heaven. The Bible says believers have the hope of heaven. The Apostle Paul was writing to Christians in Thessalonica who were in pain, who were suffering. And he said this, he said, we don't want you to be ignorant about believers who've died. We don't want you to grieve like the people who have no hope. Everybody say hope, big loud voice. Hope. If there were no hope of heaven, let me tell you something, I'd be the first to despair. Because there's just too much pain on our planet. It just is. It's too many people being abused. Too many soldiers dying in wars. Too many black and brown and yellow bodies being battered. Too many people being tortured. There's too many rapes. It's too much if this world is all there is. It's why we pray, may heaven come on earth. So you have a choice. You can grieve without hope or you can grieve with hope. Let me tell you, as a pastor, I've been at dozens of funerals over the years. And I have looked in the faces of people who had no hope when someone they loved died. You can see it. The terror in their eyes, the despair in their face. 
But last Sunday at that funeral I went to, the woman who died knew Jesus, and there wasn't terror in her children's eyes. There were, there were tears, and that's healthy. Salt water's healing. They, they, they were celebrating her life. They, you know what? She's no longer in pain. They're like, we know ex- we're not wondering where she, Grandma went. We know exactly where she is. She is at home. She is healthy, whole, healed in the presence of Jesus. Amen? See, the test of your faith is how you handle the funerals. It's not the, it's not the successes. It's how you handle the failures. It's how you handle the losses of life. That's the acid test. The Bible says Christians grieve, but we grieve with hope, and that makes all the difference. Amen? Because the person we lost is going home, home to heaven. They're going to where they were made for. They're going to where they're going to spend eternity. They're going to where you're going, too, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So why do we grieve? We're not grieving them at a funeral. We're grieving us. Do you know that? Funeral isn't for the dead. A funeral is for the living. As believers, what's our hope? Listen to Revelation 21. It says this. Here's our hope. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things will have what? Passed away. What's going to die? Death. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? Let me tell you something. This verse is one of the things that lets me go to Africa and see people suffering in poverty. They don't have clean water. They're drinking mud from puddles. How do you put up with that? It's what motivates us to go to the inner city and serve people who are homeless and addicted and abused. Because if I had no hope that God was one day going to cancel death and crying and pain, it'd be too depressing. I would be debilitated, guys. I'd be like, I can't move. I'm paralyzed. But the Bible says one day when Jesus returns, God's going to settle the score. Amen? He's going to even the odds. He's going to balance the books. And when the kingdom comes and Jesus brings heaven to earth, God's going to wipe away every tear and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Say amen if you believe it. That's the hope you have if you have a broken heart. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus said. They shall be comforted. Mark it. And this is the last thing. This is, this is actually the action step I want to challenge you with. God gives purpose to your pain. God gives purpose to your pain. Say, my pain has a purpose. You know, after World War II was over, they did a study of all those who died in concentration camps. Um, Auschwitz, Buchenwald, Dachau. Six million Jews died. And some survived. And what they discovered is those who survived typically found purpose in their pain. It was the people who actually saw no meaning or no purpose in their suffering that gave up much quicker. Listen to me. God designed you and me to handle an enormous amount of pain if you realize there's a good purpose in it. Again, it's like having a baby, right? Moms, you know this. You endure the labor pains because you're birthing something new. But when you don't see any purpose behind the pain, it's just easy to give up. So if you have a hurting heart today, can I gently suggest that God has a purpose in your pain? It's called redemptive pain. This is the highest, this is the best use of your losses that you go through. God doesn't want you to waste your pain. And if you ask him, he'll use it to help other people. Think about it. Who can better help the mother of a special needs child than another parent of a special needs child? Who can better help someone who's who's lost a son or a daughter in a war? than somebody who lost a child in war. 
who can better help somebody who's gone through the pain of addiction or, or a marriage breakup or a molestation or any of the other evils in the world that somebody else went through? Listen to me. God doesn't want you to waste your pain. He wants to redeem it. He wants to give it a holy purpose. Listen to this. This is, last verse. This is amazing. This is one I want you to take in your heart. It says this. God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can what? Comfort others with the same comfort we received from God. Now lean in here, church. Listen to me closely. Listen to me. Your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurt. Write that down. My greatest ministry will come out of my greatest hurt. The deepest pain. You know why? Because you can relate. Because you can actually say, been there. I had a mother who was abusive. Or I had a dad who was distant and left the family. Or I had a miscarriage or a major grief in this area. Your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurt. After last Sunday's service, I was out in the atrium and a woman came up to me. She had a mask on, but she was crying. She was a little shaky. And I thought she was sad. And so I was going to comfort her. She said, no, Pastor Tim, I, I'm, I'm not sad. I'm happy. She goes, these are tears of joy. I said, tell me why. And she said, I was an alcoholic for 40 years. But I gave my life to Christ and I've now been clean and sober for three years because of the Holy Spirit. She goes, I'm, I'm just crazy happy today. I, I was drunk for four decades, but Jesus Christ delivered me. He's given me strength day by day. He's transformed my whole life. And she said, I want, I, I want to use my life to help other women who are enslaved to addiction or alcohol or pills or painkillers. She goes, I want to let them know, Pastor Tim, that Jesus can save them, deliver them, heal them, and restore their life. Amen? Guys, that's given her pain a purpose. She's turning her test into a testimony. And guys, it's not just her. Every person here today watching online, you're in one of two categories. Right now, you either need God's comfort because you're in pain, or listen, God's calling you out to comfort others. And maybe God wants to do both at the same time. It's, being, it's called being a wounded healer like Jesus. See, if you wait until you're completely healed to help somebody else, guess what? You're going to wait a long time. Because you're never going to be fully healed of everything in your life until Revelation 21, you get to heaven. So you might as well right now let God redeem your pain and give it a purpose. Use your grief for good, amen? For God's glory and to bless those who mourn, Amen. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's what our family's supposed to do. We're supposed to heal each other, help each other, and we want to help you. So today, if you're going through a tough time right now, don't fake it. Face it. Let Christ help you carry it and heal your broken heart. Amen? I'm actually going to pray for you, and I want to do what Jesus did. I want to sit down and pray for you and give you a blessing, and I'm going to ask you to stand up. So would you do that wherever you are? Our campuses are online. Just stand up where you are. Put your hand out. Receive a blessing. Father, I now ask that the healing power of the Holy Spirit would flood through the pixels, Lord, online and touch every man, woman, child under the sound of my voice. Father, let them feel, those in pain, your big Abba arms wrapping around them, letting them know you're not, they're not alone. You love them, Lord. You're with them. You are close to those who are brokenhearted today. You are weeping with those who are weeping inside. They've never been alone. May they sense your compassion and your very real power and presence in their life right now. And Lord, I pray for those of us who things are going well. And I praise God for that. But Lord, we want to fulfill this beatitude. We want to be a blessing to those who mourn. So Lord, would you right now open our eyes? 
Let us see that person in our world that you have ordained us to comfort. Let us reach out to them. Maybe this afternoon, maybe you're going to text them right after the service, Father God, and that we might be the healing hands and heart of Christ in their lives. Father, may we be a healing agent in this broken world. I actually just want to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come set this world right. We can't wait for the moment that you return and there's no more death or crying or pain. But until then, Father, we grieve, but we grieve as people with great hope. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Everybody said together, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.